We arrive here today to debate at social distances from each other. There's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, you're very welcome again to RTE's Your Politics, our Thursday evening take on what's been happening in Leinster House. Sandra Harley, Micheál Lahan, and David Murphy with me on your Lawler. And before we start talking about the big story of the day and certainly the online talking point of the week, and what's that? Well, that is, of course, Fianna Fáil Junior Minister Niall Collins' statement to the Doyle about Limerick Council's sale of land to his wife. A story broken by the ditch, which, which as you know, has also broken stories about Robert Troy and Damien English. What do you make of it all? Well, I suppose it was along expected lines, really. Now, Colin's statement didn't add a whole lot to what he had said earlier on in the week, and that is the core defence that he has, that he believes he acted legally at all times uh, in the context of the Local Government Act. Therefore, he says the big decision around the sale of that piece of land to his wife, that wasn't made till 2008. That was made by a full council meeting, and he's no longer a councillor at that stage. That defence also has the backing of those at the top of government, very strongly so. The the three party leaders investing a lot of political capital in this and in the defence of Niall Collins. So that was interesting. I suppose it was inevitable there would be some actor, some nod to the benefit of hindsight, our old friend, and that did come, Niall Collins saying it probably better if he didn't attend that first meeting, that is that local area committee meeting in January 2007 when he was a councillor and it was at that meeting that the decision was made to put the land on the open market. He says he didn't believe he was involved in sanctioning even that part of the process or that first step uh, when he attended that meeting but he said it still would be better if he wasn't there. So I suppose the bigger issue of the day in some ways though centres on that real change around political strategy here that government always felt that if you were to get a minister through a particular controversy whether it was Helen McEntee the Taoiseach himself or more recently the public expenditure minister they have to go into the chamber they have to face questions if they survive that and they survived those punches, they've survived yeah. the controversy. It's different now, and Michal Martin today explaining why it's different, he believes. Yeah, and that was really interesting because the points he was making, and we, we've heard before from Leo Varadkar, who has ans- answered questions in the Dáil, and his sense of it being a kangaroo court when you have a lot of politicians going after one politician in, in, in particular. Um, and yet, the fact that precedents were set and they're not being followed in this case. And also interesting as well uh, that Micheál Martin was so robust in his defence of Niall Martin, uh, of, of Niall Collins, uh, and the reporting by the ditch. Yeah, he believes that the ditch is not an independent platform. That's his view. He questions its financing. He did that using Dahl privilege. Uh, and he is saying that because of that and because he believes there's campaigns being orchestrated and character assassination underway that the doll shouldn't slavishly follow the ditch's agenda uh, so for those reasons it was seen by the government that Niall Collins didn't have to to answer questions when Paul Murphy responded to the Thornister he did raise the fairly significant uh, big point too that without the ditch's reporting well then Robert Troy and Damien English would still be ministers that is an indisputable fact equally so where does this go, David? 
Well, I think just in terms of Niall Collins, you know, this is the third time in recent years he's been in political bother. He was in bother over voting. There was a planning issue in uh, last month in March. He had to go before the Doyle, make a statement. And now we've had a third issue where, again, he's had to go before the Doyle, make a statement. I, I think among the opposition, um, they're not going to push it any further. This statement will be the end of it in terms of this current story. Mm. But as always with any political controversy, you have to uh, add that it's on the basis that nothing else comes out. Yeah. And even though something else, I suppose, has come out compared to a statement of four weeks ago. We, are, right. we are in kind of strange territory here. Yeah. And you feel that if a minister is going to be forced to resign, it's going to have to be absolutely a nailed down case at this point because the great kind of, it's not said in clear terms, but there does seem to be a great bulwark being mounted and constructed here uh, to protect uh, politicians against uh, what's being written in the ditch. So that, that's the view. And, you, and you, you've been telling us what, you know, what the Tánishta thinks about all of this and this reporting. On the other hand, Sandra, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, this was a big story online for a number of days before it was being reported by outlets like ourselves. And there are all kinds of legal reasons and procedural reasons for that. Uh, and people were working on the story. But it, it feeds into this. Does How does it feed, feed? I suppose it leaves us with the question, doesn't it, of how all this feeds into, if you like, confidence in, you know, mainstream media, uh, confidence in what's being reported. And you're seeing a lot of fragmentation, aren't you, going on? Yeah, and I think Micheál Martin spoke about that in the Dáil. He said that, you know, the national broadcaster, uh, pretty sure he means RT, was being attacked on other outlets and other media for not covering the story initially. And as you say, people were seeking documents and verification of, of what went on. They have to go, people have to go through a sort of thorough process there. But it does seem to be part of the lines of attack. Uh, but Micheál Martin today, I thought I was really struck by how uh, he seemed quite rattled by the ditch. And if you speak to government ministers, I've had people tell me that they really don't want to see the ditch claim another scalp. And those are the exact words that were used to me. Uh, people feel that the ditch is, is absolutely targeting government. And that's what uh, the Micheál Martin said today. And I think that's quite clear from some of their tweeting and from the tweeting of, say, Paddy Cosgrave, uh, the man behind the Web Summit, who we know is heavily involved in the ditch. But uh, certainly it has kind of got under the skin of the government. And it is, as you say, it does go to that fragmentation, though. It's about mm -hmm. attacking other journalists this other media? I think part of this as well is that um, the rest of the media began to cover the story when it got their hands on the freedom of information material from the local authority. And in a way, uh, organisations like RTE were reticent to cover it until such time as they had that documentation. Yeah. Once that was released, we saw um, RTE and the main newspapers immediately cover the yeah. story. Then it went into the Doyle. Because we know because it's like drummed into us every second day. But saying that somebody said something doesn't make, it doesn't absolve you from legal liability if that is an untrue thing to say. So, you know, somebody else saying it and us repeating it, we have to know on our own terms that it is a fact before we report that. Isn't that the That's case? right. And I think that when there is the threat of legal action and when you look at some of the payouts that have been made over the past 10 years in the Irish courts, 
you know, that's a serious consideration for any type of media outlet. I think that was a factor in the timing because there was a period of time when the ditch was the only outlet effectively covering this story. And then the rest of the media uh, began to cover it in a significant way. And the trigger for that was the release mm -hmm. of the information that the ditch already had, the release by the local authority involved. And political parties didn't go near it either. This was up since Wednesday night of the previous week and there was a full day sitting of the doll on the Thursday. If Sinn Féin had the same fire in their belly uh, for this story as they had for the Pascal Donoghue one, well, there's no doubt the whole thing would have opened up going into last weekend. But while Sinn Féin did object to the fact that there wasn't questions being put to Niall Collins, there is no doubt about it. There is a reticence there too and not the same level uh, of enthusiasm for this story uh, from many parts of the opposition. All right. Well, we'll watch that space and see whether anything develops uh, in the future. Uh, the other big issue, the big issue, the constant issue in topic in housing is housing, of course, isn't it, David? That's the one that's been there all week and the government's been doing a bit of homework. Have they done enough homework? Well, I... I think that they're certainly still way behind in terms of um, where they should be. And in fact, if you look right across the country, a huge amount of problems in Ireland at the moment are effectively being caused by the state not keeping up with the increase in the population. Uh, look at what's happening in the hospital system. Look at what's happening in houses. This morning we heard effectively that the um, capacity of the prisons isn't keeping up with the amount of people who are being incarcerated um, for various criminal offences. So in a sense, that's part of it. But in terms of what the government have done, they've taken some fairly big steps, which are going to write some very large checks, particularly for developers. The cost rental scheme, whereby people are incentivized to build homes which would be rented out at 25% less than the market rent. The government, in some cases, will be paying those developers uh, 150000 per unit, which is very significant. They've also uh, significantly increased the grants um, for refurbishment as well. So I think these are, are, are pretty big steps. There's a lot of money involved. But again, it comes down to the same thing. It is really that the government has the money, but it's the constraints on the industry in getting it done. It's pretty clear from what Eamon Ryan said in the press conference this week that the developers have been into the government saying many of the projects we were going to do are no longer viable. That's partly because of interest rates. The interest rates are a lot higher, which are a key factor in these things. So the government is writing big checks mm -hmm. to make unviable projects viable and keeping their fingers crossed that there's going to be a big boost yeah. in terms of delivery. But, but it's not clear, just to come in on that, that they are going to be able to spend this money. If you look at the cost rental side of it, that's the biggest portion of the money that they announced on Tuesday. It's between half a billion and three quarters of a billion, an absolutely enormous amount. But the scheme hasn't even been fleshed out yet. They have to finalise the details of the scheme and then bring that to government. Uh, it's not clear whether they're going to take equity stakes in some of these apartment schemes or whether it's going to be a subvention. So there's a lot unclear. And if you talk to people, they would concede it's not clear that they're going to be able to spend the money this year. And yeah. if they're not spending the money this year, well, then when are the apartments or the houses going to be delivered? Yeah, and change does come dripping slow. And I mean, you, you know, the, 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 really, there are a plethora of announcements, you know, from the government on housing. There's no shortage of talking points about policy schemes. The question is, you know, people seeing that make a, make a difference in, in their lived experience, you know, particularly, 
you know, the clock is ticking towards local elections next year, European elections next year. And, you know, after that, all anyone will be talking about is an upcoming general election whenever it is. It's the scale, I think, of the problem. That's the real issue here. If you look at, say, refurbishing derelict and vacant houses, that will improve how our cities and towns look. But that's not, not going to deliver scale. That's why they're trying to focus on big schemes, big housing estates, big apartments. And they're not going to make a dent in the housing numbers until they deliver at that scale. And that was why Leo Radger, the, the Taoiseach, was asked you know, the, about the opposition's accusation here that this is an, an admission of failure. Has, uh, the housing for all uh, policy isn't working. That's why you're having to go back and do this. And of course, he wouldn't concede that it's a failure, but he said it's an indication of the scale of the problem, the depth of the problem, that they have to keep changing, updating the policy. It's a living document and they have to go back to try and deliver a really large number of homes. As well as talking about housing, though, uh, Leo Varadkar also talking about tax this week. And we know about uh, last year, of course, his big concern coming into the budget uh, was a 30 percent tax rate. That didn't happen then. Uh, he was talking about, you know, the funds the government has available and there will be a tax package in, in the budget. What kind of tax package was he hinting oh, at? Oh, good one. Yeah. <laughs> good one. I want to appeal to Fine Gael, uh, voters. People the, get the, up in the, the morning, maybe. Middle. Yeah, we'll pay I think too so. much tax. Yeah, I think People we've heard it before, have we? They're going to get the, they're going to get yes, the break. Yes, uh, those the, the deserving. Uh, and not alone, like, did he begin the process last night, but Fine Gael are going to have a special meeting in June to really hone these uh, policy proposals ahead of the budget. It was interesting too, he talked about the surplus of this year, but also mentioned next year's one. So uh, you do feel that that general election will be some at some point, perhaps in early 2025 or the last days of 2024, where those two surpluses uh, will be distributed. Uh, but equally a note of caution saying that there will come a time when those type of corporate tax receipts won't be there and there has to be enough money set aside not to have a repeat of what happened in the last recession. But there's no doubt Fine Gael in particular are going to focus on that tax package in the budget once again. Yeah, I think we, we're we probably moving into the pre-budget manoeuvring now that uh, we're almost coming into the summer and that's when all those things start being considered. Uh, one thing that does have to be considered, it's an issue that's been bubbling there away throughout the government's term and that's the operation of abortion mm-hmm. services in Ireland and there has been this review uh, this week that was published and showing what is, it, is it 11 out of the 19 uh, yes. providing the service around the patchy provision? Mm-hmm. Um, what does the government intend doing about it? Yes, yeah, so patchy provision, you mentioned that not all the maternity hospitals are offering the service. Also too few GPs offering the service. Just, I think it's 422 across the country. So those are the operational problems. The HSE has been given the role of... Um, improving that. They're trying to incentivise GPs to offer the service. The problem is there's not enough GPs. GPs are really overloaded. They say several more maternity hospitals will be on stream later this year and that by early next year, the full 19 should be up and running. But I think the more politically contentious stuff, of course, is the legislative changes. This is all going to be discussed by the Oireachtas Health Committee. And there's a few different areas here. And I think it's not going to be a binary choice for people. There's going to be different, you know, detailed discussions on this. So, Um, Marie O'Shea, the barrister who carried out this review, said that the mandatory three day wait period, that that should be made to be optional. That's causing problems. She also flagged up issues around the interpretation of the rules on the risk to life and health. Also problems with the interpretation of a fatal fetal um, abnormality, um, issues also around doctors and this issue of conscience. So 
the Oireachtas Health Committee is going to look at they're go at it. They're going to have public hearings. Um, they haven't decided yet exactly how to do it. They'll probably bring in the authors first and go from there. But it's going to cause problems in the various political parties. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are going to have a free vote, a conscience vote. Interestingly, some people have changed their mind since the, the repeal vote back in 2018. Certainly some Fianna Fáilers, um, people like Jack Chambers, Anne Rabbit, they've publicly declared that their position has evolved. Sinn Féin not going to have a free vote. We got some indications yesterday from their health spokesperson, David Cullinan. He said that they, uh, he certainly felt that the three-day wait period, that that should be optional. Um, we've seen other parties, the Social Democrats and Labour, I think certainly would be in favour of um, opening up and making the provision of abortion, I suppose, more liberal. But you've seen then within government people like the Taoiseach, Leo Radker, saying he would be reluctant and uncomfortable to go back and change things so soon after the legislation was brought in. So there's definitely very mixed views in government. Um, more of a push, I think, in the opposition to liberal, liberalise the provision, but not for everyone. For example, Aintu Padre Tobin, it's obviously um, at their very essence that they wouldn't want to, to liberalise the provision. And I think it's an interesting one for Aintu because they're probably one of the only parties in opposition who are appealing to a certain segment of the electorate, a sort of socially conservative voter. At the moment, they have only one TD, but perhaps this could be a springboard for them to maybe have a broader appeal because they are alone, perhaps, in the opposition benches on their thinking on this. I think it's interesting, too, that the government clearly has a belief that the committee will look at this in a detailed way and that could take a substantial amount of time and perhaps nothing might happen before the next election. I have a suspicion that that view isn't shared by everyone in the committee and that those particular discussions could conclude far quicker than government might anticipate and that a, re a recommendation or a report could go back to government much quicker uh, than perhaps they're expecting. And that would put a degree of political pressure uh, on the government and on the cabinet perhaps to act on these recommendations, something that I don't think they, they quite anticipate at the moment. This this may not run along the same lines as the lead up to the referendum where there was that uh, fairly collective agreement reached broadly uh, ahead of, of the drawing up of the legislation. It could be difficult and it could be more difficult for the government in particular this time around. I think there is some within the medical profession, there is a kind of a concern that the three day wait period is resulting in some unintended consequences. For example, um, women coming to a GP right at the end of the 12 week period and then being told, well, you've got to wait three days. That puts them beyond the legal uh, 12 week period. And then they find they have to travel uh, for a termination. And the numbers traveling still so high. The numbers traveling still so high. And that is partly down to access. And um, there are also issues whereby uh, women take the required medication for a termination. Uh, that doesn't work then they go back and they're beyond the 12 week, they have to travel too. So I think that uh, while many parts of the legislation were introduced with the best of intentions, the way it works is resulting in some problems. But I think the key problem is access to termination services. There's another couple of things I want to uh, talk about before we wrap up. Uh, first of all, looking north today, uh, David, today the day that um, we're expecting or it was expected, Chris Heaton-Harris, the Northern Ireland Secretary, uh, he'd given an indicative indication about the level of bu budget cuts uh, Northern Ireland was facing. I mean, 
and really swinging cuts on the way, it looks like. So potentially the North is going to be in some difficulty with its public finances. Now, the British government this afternoon says it's offering some flexibility on a 300 million euro overspend um, by Stormont tabled in relation to its budget. But Chris Eaton Harris is saying there are difficult decisions that are going to have to be taken regarding the um, funding available. Now, he does say that some money available from Treasury in terms of plugging the gap. but So basically, of, it's this, the, sti- the stick is this budget and the carrot is go back into Stormont and maybe it won't be quite so bad. I think it's more political pressure on the DUP and everything is pointing in that direction. The key thing really here is that the civil servants who are effectively running the North at the moment can't make those type of political decisions. At the same time, uh, many people in the North would argue that they haven't got the benefit from the cost of living supports which have been introduced in the Republic. That's down to the absence of a proper administration there. And then we had some figures uh, published yesterday indicating that the incomes in the north have fallen in comparison to other regions within the United Kingdom. That's partly being attributed to the lack of an administration there too. I think it's all trying to keep pressure on the DUP and we'll just have to see if it's going to work. But many people would say there isn't going to be any clear indication until after the uh, Mm -hmm. local elections next month. Yes, and the and, and the DUP don't always they're n- they're not known for bending to pressure. Put put it that well, way. Well, a lot of people would argue that if you look at what happened with the new decade, new approach, um, the DUP rejected it. They said no. They said no, and then a couple of years later, hey presto, they say yes. So it might be a slow yes. Yeah. Um, Michelle O'Neill, though, she's also been making news, Sandra. She's going to King Charles' coronation, King Charles III's coronation yes, next week. Yes, that's right. But of course, as we know, they're sort of pals now after their interaction. At, uh, was it Hillsborough a few months ago when he said to her something like such ingenuity and he appeared to snub the DUP's uh, Jeffrey Donaldson. There was a bit of a slight there. So, yes, she has said that she's going to the coronation. Interesting, of course, a, a Sinn Féin politician going to uh, um, the coronation of the new British monarch, something that really would have been unthinkable in the past. But I suppose it's the new Sinn Féin. Uh, and, and she's saying it's reach out, isn't it? Because, you know, again, Sinn Féin always, you know, first minister designate, of course, mm-hmm. the DUP haven't gone in with uh, the first minister uh, being, you know, Sinn Féin. Uh, they've always had that position themselves. Uh, now they would be deputy if they were to return. So she, she, it, she's it's kind of Sinn Féin's show. This is how we would we would run an Ireland of different allegiances in the future. I mean, it's all part of the broader Sinn Féin project, which is preparing for government north and south. And they've they've moved on a lot of things in recent years. I think the Special Criminal Court is a really big one uh, in the south. And this this is just all part of that Mm -hmm. bigger project. Uh, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar will be there as well. uh, And also, of course, uh, the President, Michael T. Higgins. Yeah, the British right wing... Keish is going to be in the menu. Yeah, exactly. The Daily Mail, aren't they losing the will to live over this? They are. Well, don't don't they have Tom Parker Bowles, right? Writing for them, son of Camilla, who's a well-known um, Queen food Camilla. Queen, Queen She's Camilla. She's getting the title. Yeah, that's oh, yes. it. Yeah, he. I, so he did an interesting um, interview on the News Agents podcast, and he spoke in a great deal of detail about the menu and how that the quiche that we're all used to from the supermarket is not going to be the quiche that they're going to have at the dinner. It's going to be a completely different type of quiche. And he spoke in a great deal of detail about how um, coronation chicken was once a fantastic dish, but the supermarkets made a mess of that yes. too. Quite interesting remarks. He wouldn't really go there in terms of uh, Harry and where Harry's going to be sitting at the dinner 
Yes. You've been reading a lot of the mail, David. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other thing I want to talk about, Michal, before we go. We've heard about you another... the president going as well to the coronation. Yes. Just, you know, I have to say, very important here yeah. that they want that emphasised. You've and emphasised the president, it. And the president <laughs> will be at a reception in Buckingham Palace the evening before. Very good. Yeah. We'll all be looking. Um, and the other thing I want to talk to you about is another minister, former minister, announced uh, he's leaving the political pitch. Yeah, Michael Creed in the Dáil since 1989, lost out once, uh, but a long career here. Uh, so he will be joining that group of people who are departing, some of them much younger than him, the likes of Brendan Griffin and Owen Murphy, of course, already departed. So that's 11 constituencies now where Fine Gael look into the next election without a sitting TD. And I think the general feeling is that there will be at least one or two more people looking at David Stanton and Cork East, looking too to Richard Bruton uh, to see what the mm-hmm. story will be. Does it mean... How big a deal is it for a political party to lose a sitting TD? Well, they are on the back foot. There's no doubt about that when it comes to building a base. Now, the way it's been spun, because that's the nature of this thing, that it's all about renewal. That was the word that Michael Creed used as well. Politics is a process of renewal. But I think certainly when you look at the people who got elected uh, under the age of 50 uh, last time who are now going, well, the expectation around here would have been that they would have been around for another two decades or more. People, of course, are still around at that age are the likes of Bernard Durkin who at 78 insists that he will be standing the next time. Yeah but sure look at Joe Biden he announced exactly. his, he's running again this week so isn't isn't there room now for the, yeah. the yeah. mature voice in politics as well? Although I suppose I'm, is there a question though in, in Finnegan is there a crisis are the overactors old allies people like Michael Creed were important uh, when he did become the leader uh, do, is he more vulnerable as a result of that? Well he, apparently he has met all the parliamentary party uh, up to 50 people in recent times and that they say that they are confident of, of yeah. winning back some of those seats where, where people are now departing. It's interesting though, you, you get more speculation nearly now about Leo Varadkar and his position as as head of Fine Gael. and you know, for a while there it was all, you know, Michal Martin couldn't come out in public without being asked when he was going to quit mm. and looking at him in the doll today, he certainly seems in fine form and doesn't look like a man who thinks of going anywhere. Yeah, he was fired up today definitely and uh, in some ways he seems to have become maybe a bit more comfortable since he's no longer Taoiseach. He's now in the Taunish, the role. He's not maybe second-guessing himself and he's just going for it. And if he, he goes on the attack, and that is something today that would really appeal to all the Fianna Fáil backbenchers. They're going to love him going after the ditch and, and it'll appeal to others, I think, Fine Gael as well. So, uh, yeah, he's a man that seems to be very comfortable at the moment and enjoying himself. There's one boat out of here next year. That's the European Commissioner's job. Who's going to get on that boat? Is, is that a boat to cling to, yeah? But that's a, that's going to be a Fine Gael boat, isn't it? Or a Fine Fáil boat? Yeah, the expectation is it is a Fianna Fáil vote. I don't think Fine Gael are quite, a, as when, when that's put to them, that they said that that's a done deal, but it would be a surprise if it wasn't a Fianna Fáil boat. So if it's a Fianna Fáil boat, who's going to be on it? The Fianna Fáil leader, I think, still. I, I think that was always going to be the, the strategy. So he becomes a commissioner. And a high-ranking commissioner. High-ranking commissioner. Prime Minister, yeah. And then um, we have a... Leadership competition. Yeah. Not much time then for the leader to be in charge in, in Fianna Fáil before the next election. It would no. give them, I mean, that's May 2004 for the commis- commissionership. So you'd have a maximum until March the following year. And it'll be interesting, the Boundary Commission com- uh, report, that's going to be later in the summer as well, yeah. isn't it? It'll August, be interesting August, to, August, yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see what'll happen when TDs have Well, that's have going to be the real trigger, isn't it? For yeah. many of them, that's going, to be the, that's going to be the point at which they'll finally make up their mind regarding whether or not they're going to run. And that's going to be the, the key decision. And I suppose the local election results as well next time. I mean, what 
that's when the questions will be asked of the two leaders of the, of the bigger parties in government and what happens then will, will be interesting. I mean, the questions around... Although the, Sinn Féin, the last time out, locals and, yeah. ge- and general, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't, I mean, you that's can't true. just... Yeah. And it ruins that great kind of statement that we used to all say, you could always read the locals when projecting and forecasting the, the general. So that, that is gone now, but they will create a degree of pressure if there are losses, big losses for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. OK, well, that's all crystal ball stuff we'll be doing. We'll be back here uh, next Thursday to keep you up to date with what happens in the next seven days. Uh, like and subscribe to keep in touch and we'll have more for you, as I say, next Thursday. Till then, slow. 